Welcome to Unnumbered. I'm your host, Dr. Amy, lifestyle medical doctor, speaker, and coach. I'm here to remind you that you are unique, rare, and one of a kind, and so is your health. I'll be diving into all the nitty gritty of holistic personalized medicine with world-class experts where we unpack the science and give you tools and strategies that can alter your life forever. Plus, this is no ordinary podcast. There's not only the physical, but the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects that underpin all of us will be laid out bare. Nothing is out of bounds here. So be prepared to be educated, inspired, and empowered to live a healthy and purposeful life. So today I have the great pleasure of inviting a beautiful friend I would like to now call you. Jessica Sims is an incredible coach that specializes in career confidence and balance and has worked with many executives, has her own magazine, The Sims Report, and has also interviewed some incredible people like Ita Buttress. So I am so happy that you are here. Thank you so much for coming on, Jess. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure and I'm really excited to have a chat to you today. There's nothing more joyful than talking about health and well-being and living our best life. Yes, definitely. I mean, so firstly, I can definitely put my hand on my heart and share that you have seen me have my own meltdowns on the end of a phone (laughs) and you're an incredible listener and you really truly see people for their gifts and their, you know, passions and purposes. So I definitely don't want you to shy away from like how magnificent you truly are and you speak to, you know, large companies. So I would love for you to share with our audience, you know, what it is that you do in your work and like, how did you get to here? Like, what was your path? Yeah, sure. So thank you for that lovely feedback, first of all, Amy. Um, And I feel the same about you. And yes, you indeed have seen some vulnerability of my own. So I appreciate that. And I hope that that colours a really truthful, honest conversation in this podcast today. Um, So a little bit about myself and my journey, which you have asked about. I'm essentially an executive coach. So I'm a coach in various different industries um, with organisations, but also with um, individuals, whether they are interested in transitioning careers or they're wanting to explore purpose a little bit further or meaning. But my career very early on was very different, Amy. So I grew up in the world of theatre, as in plays, as in, you know, Shakespeare and and the like. Um, So both my parents worked in the theatre. So my mum was the production manager and my dad was the photographer. Very romantic love story. Um, In a theatre company called um, The Nimrod, which is now uh, Belvoir Street Theatre in Surrey Hills. Um, So my upbringing was quite different to other people's. So in those days, you know, I'm 42 in a couple of weeks. So in those days, it was quite normal to bring your kids to work. So I would play in the costume rooms and watch rehearsals. And that was my life. And I pursued that um, for a very long time. So I went to a performing arts high school. I went to NIDA. I went to afters. And um, I directed plays with actors and worked with actors and was um, a storyteller, essentially. 
And and then my life moved in a different direction, very vastly different from creativity. Well, maybe not, um, but into the world of science. So um, I embarked on a new journey in which a very different part of my brain had to be exercised. And that was one of perhaps following rules and regulations and looking at my analytical side instead of perhaps my creative side. So that was a really great transition in my life. And now in my career, I found a way to mesh those two aspects of myself and my experience. So both the creativity and the storytelling and getting the best performance out of people, which is essentially what um, a director does with an actor. And now I work with individuals in a coaching capacity to help them uh, get the best performance out of themselves day to day and as a lifelong journey. So that's, that's my path to date. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about, you know, working with actors or being in that scene and then also working with these, you know, high achievers, high performance executive people where really they're both of those types of people always have to kind of have a game face on. They kind of have to have their stuff together, right? And they have to be really resilient and be able to pivot, you know, when things might change. So when you're working with these executives, what are some of the challenges that they come up with? Like what are some of the common themes of emotions or obstacles that come up that you tend to see throughout a lot of people? I think if there's a common theme, it is around individuals wanting to feel valued in their workplace and wanting to experience fulfillment and a sense that what they contribute is of value to the bigger picture of the organization's mission. So pre-COVID, I would very boldly talk about um, a misery epidemic in the workplace. Um, even though I would probably say I'm quite an optimist and I like to see the good in scenarios, I very much observed a large proportion of my clients, whether they be individual coaching clients or cohorts, that did not feel that uh, their outside interests, obligations, passions or needs were being met by the organisation. So they felt that that was being compromised. And I, I think that I really hoped that post-COVID we would have perhaps seen the benefits of um, a more flexible working arrangement. So the... so. My answer to your question, uh, Amy, is that the common theme in the coaching that I engage in is around workplace happiness, I guess. And that has to be an, worked on in an individual way. I do not believe that it is um, something that can be um, fixed with a three-hour training session with a large cohort and you tick that box and say we have done a mindfulness session therefore our, <laughs> our workplace is well 
Oh my goodness. That is just, you know, you touched a point in the hospitals, right? Because, you know, that everyone's trying to tick their boxes in big corporations and specifically, you know, workplace stress, burnout is kind of what you've just described. You know, having that feeling of lack of, you know, value and purpose in an organization is very common in the hospitals. And, you know, and then these strategies come in, like you've just mentioned, like a three hour seminar or like a yoga session or a mindful session, and then think that that's all that's required. And, and you're so right. You know, it, it is a personalized journey and it does, and it isn't, you know, reflections and epiphanies don't happen. Gen- I mean, they can do, of course, but, you know, it's an ongoing journey, right? It's never ending. We don't, you know, reach a destination in this lifetime while we're currently living. So it's just a, it, for me, it's like a constant practice. And so it only makes sense to work with a coach, right? Because that's what we, you know, we're then going to be, have a mirror or we're going to have someone observe what we're actually doing each time. I mean, you talked about purpose. I mean, how is it that you can help people get back their purpose because we know that's so important for people's like longevity and their health and reduces their chronic disease when people have purpose so what kind of strategies can you work with or what kind of tools or things can you do if someone was lacking purpose yes and and so that's why i i practice and work with evidence-based coaching psychology because um it it is it's not when you're um working with someone to highlight or uncover their purpose it it is not it is not a one hour keynote in a room with 100 people um it is a, a very deep reflective quiet conversation uh that has space time meditation and uh, really deep soul searching. And I think that if we were to go a little lighter, Amy, um, in regards to purpose, I strongly feel that um, definitely in the Australian school system as a whole and the university system as well, we focus very much on um, you must be good at everything hide your weaknesses or work on your weaknesses, right? Which is the opposite of what, you know, one of my heroes, Marcus Buckingham would say. Um, and so people arrive in day one on their first job and, and don't realise that their strengths are their superpowers and to be great at something, you're, you're going to be rubbish at something else. Um, and so when you're told to be good at everything, it's really difficult to work out what you love doing and what you're good at doing and, where your passion lies, what lights you up, what's effortless, right? So when we're playing to our strengths, it's effortless and it gives us energy, it fuels us. And that's what leads you to what your purpose is. So yes, there's a methodology behind it, but it's not its not rocket science. It's, you know, what do you love? What are you good at? And, and what will someone essentially pay you to do? Because we do live in an economy that where currency is what we trade. Um, but having said that, you know, we are all at different stages in our career. I was just referring to early career, perhaps, or transition career. But for example, I'm in a different stage of my career where I'm quite focused on giving back. So I've just started my first 
two volunteer jobs. So I haven't had a job in 20 years because I'm an entrepreneur and I work for myself in my own business. But now I find myself, you know, in my two volunteer jobs, I've kind of got managers or, or what have you. But I simply love it because... I'm, I'm giving back and that's that's enhancing my purpose at this stage of my career. So I think at various different stages of your career, um, you you will have different needs in regards to purpose. I think in, in regards to perhaps our more senior community members, especially at present with COVID, if they are retired, unfortunately with lockdowns in many parts of the country, again, um, we have we have large proportions of our, our wonderfully capable seniors who have found themselves not being able to utilise their, their, their purpose or tap into their purpose at the moment. And I, I'm seeing the, um, the, the negative effect of that. So, so in summary around your question around purpose, um, it, is, it is not rocket science, but what's very important is that it, your purpose come it comes from a place of self and knowing and not from expectations of or perceived expectations of others or or society, et cetera. It must be what you want to do, what, you know, sails your ship, what, what brings the wings up, not what you think others want. Mm, I love that. And for me, it's interesting because I get a lot of patients that come the struggle with stress and burnout. And I would say the conversation of purpose comes up in each of those clients' journeys at some point. And they all have kind of, you know, come to a crossroads, which has then created an element of either anxiety or low mood or insomnia or lethargy because they feel a little bit like stuck. And I kind of, I go into PERMA, which I know is something that you know really well, and that gets taught to us in the Lifestyle Medicine Fellowship, which is really important about positive psychology. And I tend to work with people with regards to that. And and I think a lot of people don't probably would understand it as you describe it, but don't probably know it as a tool or um, uh, I don't know how you would describe it, like a strategy for people because PERMA is an acronym. So I would love you to share a bit more about PERMA because you, you use that with your clients, right? Yes, that's correct. So um, uh, the acronym PERMA stands for Positive Emotion, Engagement, Relationships, Meaning and Achievement. So it's, it's, a, it's a, um, uh, a, a, a model of, I guess we would say, um, something to strive for, um, something to strive for um, every day without putting too much pressure on ourselves. I mean, there's a lot of pressure to to strive for perfection, but it, it's an outline. It's a it's an objective. Um, so Martin Seligman is the founder of this model. Um, so um, m- most of my research and study has been done in positive psychology, and it's one that I'm fascinated with. And of co- and uh, for the most part, gratitude um, and gratitude practice is what I believe um, in my private um, practice, for coaching practice, and my own. Um, um self-practice but also from my research is is one of the most effective um positive psychology constructs that can be practiced to get really um vastly measurable results um so i believe that um any sort of daily or um 
regular uh, practice that's focused on positive psychology um, uh, has measurable effects on health, well-being, mood, and outlook on life, um, and the 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 experience of what we uh, what we experience day to day life. But mostly, I would like to share that um, I believe that. Um, so let's start with. Uh, positive emotion is an effortful practice it, it for the most for most of us it doesn't come naturally we're we're, we're hardwired to be miserable and to ruminate and to experience perhaps the negative aspects and by all means none of us are perfect I'm not perfect I always tell this little story I hope you don't mind um whereas as, as much of stories <laughs> well the, the first little anecdote is many times my husband says have you done your own courses? <laughs> you know, sometimes when I'm having a little um, privileged whinge. Um, but my my fondest story is I have a stepson who is now 22, but I've been with him since he was quite little. And um, and he's the, my I, I call him my grounding rock. He's 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 the he's the um, sweetest soul, but he's also very wise and very grounding. And um, a few years ago, I was very fortunate to have a you know really lovely um, uh, global client who flew me around business class, and it was all very fun and very glamorous and very you know um, a bit lardy da. And uh, I was at the airport, and I, and I don't know what this was a few years ago. I don't know what I was whinging to my husband on the phone about, but something very very you know first world problems um, probably. And my stepson grabbed the phone off my husband and said, Jess, now get a grip. You're about to get on a business class flight. Oh, you're probably, first of all, about to go to the Qantas Club, then get on a business class flight, be handed a champers, and you're going to do, you're going to do the most delicious work that you love. You're going to do, you know, going to Hong Kong to deliver some wonderful empowerment, self-development programs. You just need to, you know, zip it. And I went, you are so right. You're so right. So I share that story to say that, you know, we are sometimes hardwired to, to, to see, you know, I, don't know, I, I like to be a bit off-putting sometimes, but we're hardwired to see dog shit when it's really roses, you know, and, but the, but it's effortful to see the roses and, and that's why it's such a well-known metaphor to smell the roses. Um, but we do have the ability to um, reframe, change or practice being able to uh, experience the positive in the moment or in the situation, but it does take effort um, and not an effort that should be experienced in a negative way one that should be practiced and enjoyed when you start to see the results. Um, but it, it, whether you have a meditation program, uh, practice or a mindfulness practice um, or your practice is a, a joyful walk every day, whatever your practice is, it's so essential that you find that thing that allows you to form more often than not see the joy and the, the and appreciate with gratitude the the fortune in the scenario. Mm, I love that so much. And it's interesting because 
People tend to be more in flow when they're in their strengths, which is something that you mentioned earlier, right? And it's something that I have almost kind of gone on a journey of like doing every type of personality test and, you know, trying to look at strengths in every character and domain possible, whether that's through spiritual ways, through like astronomy, through, you know, horoscopes, through evidence-based psychology. But, But ultimately, if you're in that flow, it's like what you were discussing. It's that you're in that present moment and you're focused entirely on the task or whatever you're doing in that moment. And I know from experience with clients that like 99% of us are running around like either zombies because we're on autopilot or we're just like completely overwhelmed. So we just can't actually function and be present most of the time. So that we kind of need that biofeedback, which, you know, could be a breathing technique. It could be the gratitude that you talked about. Um, it could be affirmations. It could be utilizing. I often say to clients, you know, when was the last time that you picked up the guitar or, you know, something that they used to do as a child is something that I often find really sparks interest in people because suddenly they get into that flow because it was always something that they were good at. So. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, um, that was about positive emotion for the beginning of the PERMA. What would engagement be about? So in my, um, in my corporate life, there's a striving for every organization to improve their engagement scores. So those of you listening who are in that world know that, um, every quarter or every um, half year you need to fill out this survey uh, that's confidential and it, it has questions relating to how, how happy and engaged you are in the workplace. Um, and it's, it's really simple in, in my mind uh, from my experience and observation. If um, we go back to people's outside um, needs, outside the workplace, if an individual's life outside whatever that may be it could be that they have a passion for volunteering at the zoo once a week and they want to do that and they want to have a four-day week and they want to be at the zoo on the Friday whether it's that or they have aging parents or whether they um they really love the gym and want to start at 10 a.m instead of nine variety you know different reasons um if their work can accommodate that, and most workplaces besides, you know, doctors like yourself who are required to do shifts, most workplaces can accommodate that. Um, So if that is not compromised, you raise the engagement in the workplace. And if you ask the question of your employee, what do you like to do and how do you like to work? And if those two things are met, then you have engagement. It's quite simple. Does that, does that actually get asked? I mean, that's like a complete foreign concept to me. Like that's just unbelievable. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And so a lot of the work I do in coaching or in cohorts is saying to the individuals, have you shared this with your manager? So, for example, years ago I was working in one of the banks uh, delivering a a program called She Leads, which was a middle management program of um, talent with potential. Um, And one of the ladies 
shared that she passionately wanted to work in service and work more um, for um, not-for-profit or uh, many more in service, right? And this particular bank had so many charities associated with it and so many different um, arms that would be suitable for her needs, but no one had ever asked her. And she also didn't feel and didn't feel that she could express that. And in this particular bank, and I'm sure it's the same as many, most people have been there for decades and, and just moved around different positions, but mainly because they have been requested to, to, to move, not what do you want to do, what do you see any opportunities in the organisation of interest, that sort of thing. But no, uh, I do not believe that those two questions get asked or asked enough, and I believe it is definitely um, the key to um, engagement in the workplace. Um, so th the other aspect is a self-responsibility aspect. So um, you um, a wonderful client that I work for, Cisco, they call it, I, I actually have forgotten the term, uh, uh, a two-way bargain, right, so that the organisation meets them this far and the individual has to meet them this far. And it's not about being a workhorse and contributing, you know, everything you've got. It's about um, uh, saying saying what you want, sharing your ideas, um, that sort of thing. Um, and I find I'm really in admiration of that organisation because of that. Um, and so it's about saying your responsibility is for your engagement just as much as it is our responsibility to keep you engaged as well. So mm. I hope that so it's like a collaborative, basically. You're, you're both putting your cards on the table. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Amy, if I may just take a step back for a moment just to follow on on flow because I was really interested in your point there. Um, so for those listeners who are readers, Chits in Mahi's flow is just a, an absolute number one, you know, go-to book. Um, and in as I've shared with your listeners, my first career was in the world of creative arts and, and music and um, all of those wonderful things. And you know, Chitsi Mahi talks about that when you are in flow, which essentially means you're doing something that you enjoy so much and that you're good at. Actually, you don't actually have to be good at it. You could be a rubbish guitar player and really be like getting in the flow, right? Um, but what the what it says is that you know, time just escapes you. And I'm sure all of your listeners at some stage have engaged in something um, where they sort of come out of it and are like, whoa, that, didn't that just feel like, you know, a couple of seconds, but we've been doing this for a couple of hours. Um, and I, I, I think, and that's part of the create, creative world. You know, people um, in my world of creativity, in my ex-career, would sit around for hours and jam. And those of you who are in the music world know what that means. It just means everyone's got an instrument and you sit around and you and you just kind of improvise. And the beauty of this is that there, it's for no defined outcome or result, right? It is for enjoyment and for the experience in the moment. Now, <laughs> that concept 
in the corporate world in which I currently work in um, is absolutely foreign, especially in organisations that have billable hours, the, the concept of doing something for no result is like out there. But those clients, corporate clients that I have that understand that if you do not exercise a group of people to be able to innovate and sit around and play and experiment, you are going to be gone in 10 years. So most of my really incredibly progressive clients have what's called like innovation hubs. Like, so they've got a group of people that sit in a different building and they and they're, they get paid just to play, which is, that is the way of the future and, and of our past. And we can learn so much from, um, you know, creative theatre troops in Greece thousands of years ago. Um, and I'm, I'm loving that we're seeing this complete revolution and I hope um, everyone gets on the bandwagon and, and we can all play together and be in flow. <laughs> I love that. And, it, and you know, from my perspective, coming from medicine, where it was very much work like a work horse and give every single tiny little last bit until you were on death's door, essentially, you know, to now being self-employed and being in this kind of creative space where, you know, even just talking to people like yourself, um, it's so enjoyable and, you know, like creating content's enjoyable. And that's just such a creative thing that I always thought to myself I'm not creative but it's actually because I never had the space to allow creativity to come through yes and space is extremely important so the the million dollar idea or the most creative and innovative idea does not come when you're saying be creative sit in a room with people and brainstorm that idea I, I do understand that in your world um, the solutions do need to come under pressure I, I do validate that but the 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 really creative ideas um, come from come in the shower. They they come when you are staring out the window, or going for a walk. So um, that's why I was hoping that post COVID organisations would learn that time is not the currency of output, and this whole notion of people pouring into the city at eight thirty in the morning and leaving at six is is just. It's not necessary, it's ridiculous and it's counterproductive to creativity and maybe they will and maybe they won't, but we will see. But, um, yes, creativity. (laughs) (laughs) I love that little tangent. (laughs) I know. I know. I feel like we could talk forever about creativity. I think we've had many chats before about creativity. Yes. Um, so, so carrying on from that, I mean, creativity also does affect relationships, which is R in, in PERMA, um, because I've noticed that the more creative I am, the more flow, the more joy, the more feminine um, that I am. And that then supports a healthy, good uh, relationship. Yeah, so um, we know that people live longer who have great relationships and and that doesn't necessarily need to be a partnership. Um, It's about community. So we know uh, regardless of your religious beliefs, and I am not religious, but there is numerous amounts of research that people associated with some sort of religion because of that community aspect live happier, healthier lives. and those who are involved in various different groups, um, live, uh, whether they be um, 
I don't know, I'm not part, I'm, I don't have many hobbies, but, um, you know, part of chess groups or, or you know, any common hobbies um, live more enriched lives because they're connecting. We are human beings who need connectedness. We need to share the common experience. That doesn't mean you you, you can't enjoy your own company and, and, and your independent life, but inherently we do need to connect. Um, and relationships are um, challenging because we are also different. And um, so I'm, I'm, uh, I work in personality theory um, quite a lot in my work and use that to help um, individuals understand self and others better and how they can collaborate and work with each other better and interact with each other better. And the, the relationships that work are those that uh, lean in with appreciative, appreciative inquiry, with curiosity to different perspectives and say, tell me more about that, whether that be within your, your partner within your, a family member, within someone that you work with, someone in your community. Um, and that leaning into difference and learning with a growth mindset is what I believe grows relationships rather than tears them apart. Um, so um, any sort of relationship, whether it be the relationship you have with your neighbour, the relationship you have with your corner store um, owner, et cetera, et cetera, your Uber driver. And, and relationships also don't have to be uh, long-lasting. You know, every moment of interaction with another human being um, can and should be cherished, and I believe that it, it enriches um, your, your daily experience if you uh, look at every touch point with another human being as a moment of learning and um, a moment of um, of realization that we are in a collective and we are in this together. Mm, yes, we're definitely in this together. <laughs> I don't know if everyone always sees it that way, but it's definitely something that rings true for me. And I think that celebrating our successes with those people, whether that be friends or you know family that also creates a really strong bond, right? So when you create those strong bonds, that also improves our health. And there has been studies about environment and the relationships that we hold. And if they are strong, that we actually have less dementia. We actually have less yeah. problems yeah. with, with yeah. cognitive <laughs> decline and memory. Absolutely. So that's that's really like significant because you know the other, other day I was thinking to myself my memory is going and, I, and I'd been isolated for for only a week but I was thinking to myself my memory is going and then I read a read part of my like workbook and it was like you know your social environment's really important for your memory and I was like I haven't even seen anyone for a week I need to get out <laughs> so going on to the next part of PERMA would be the M which is meaning right yeah Can you explore that a little bit with us Yes, regardless if you are religious, spiritual, or um, embark on a daily practice of curiosity, we need to feel that, that what we contribute has meaning. And what I mean by that is that it has value. So, um, and that is why um, 
individuals in the workplace need to understand and have really robust communication the importance of their task or their contribution to the whole picture. Um, because if we feel that it's redundant or it doesn't have value or it could people could take it or leave it, it feels as a visceral expression of emotion. I feel that it is a fundamental, and so does Martin Seligman, obviously, it's a fundamental um, need. It's a base need of us all to seek meaning. What am I doing? What does this all mean? What? Why am I doing this? It, is this what it's all about? And that's where, where in um, most forms and probably more people in their later life start to seek out meaning in a greater um, capacity, the meaning of life. Um, because we all want to know what our place is, what this means, and to put significance and understanding on our experience because perhaps maybe younger people, and that's a generalisation, are happy to go with the flow and experience it as it comes. But I think with a little bit more wisdom and, and experience, we need to understand our place in this, this big picture a little bit more and, um, and so that we can be in service of it greater um, and so that we can think less about what we can take from it and more about what we can give to it because ultimately that is more satisfying. And I think if you work that out, the last act is really happy and content and peaceful. And if you don't work it out, unfortunately, it's quite miserable. Mm, yes. <laughs> and I think that, you know, when you talk about meaning, Sometimes it comes really easily to some people. They 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 just know what their like passion, purpose, what what things mean to them. And other people feel like lost. They they don't they don't feel that they have like the direction. Oh, that's at least anyway the type of people that I sometimes work with. And and sometimes I get stuck with that because for me it comes so easily because it's like a you know it's a deep burning desire to to make an impact in the world and sometimes people don't know what they're meaning what what they're meant to be doing etc so when when people come to you like that I mean obviously you work with them for a period of time but how else do you kind of uncover what meaning is to people like what can our listeners actually do when they think of PERMA and then they get to meaning and they're like, well, you know, they're one of those people like, well, I don't know. I don't know what this is to me. What would you say? My first um, port of call would, to, would be to ask, what can you do for someone else like right now? So there's a classic story of a, um, of a, a, a gentleman who was, and this story may be um, a combination of various different stories, but it, it, it serves its purpose, um, was having a, a troublesome time and feeling quite low. And so he called a friend 
and which we all should do if we are feeling low is to reach out because it is okay not to be okay and to not feel okay and sometimes just reaching out can really help and so he reached out and his friend said what what is something that you can do for another right now um that will be useful for them and help them and he was quite affronted by this response to I'm feeling low you know like he, he he felt like he wasn't being listened to or did you hear me? But he trusted his friend and said, okay, I'll, I will go and do that and I will call you back. And so he knew that his neighbour upstairs, he lived in a block of flats, um, and the outside stairs were, were um, external and so he knew that his um, neighbour upstairs that had lots of leaves on his front um, little landing and so he and his he knew that his upstairs neighbor was uh, elderly and that, so the physical activities were quite difficult so he took his broom up and swept up the leaves and put them in a bag and went down and um uh, disposed of them and put them in the bin or, or what have you um and didn't knock on the door or tell his neighbor that he did it did it but went back downstairs rang his friend and said i I went and swept my neighbor's front porch and I, I feel a little more open. Let's have a chat. And it, it changed his mood a little. So when I talk about meaning, I'm very strong on, I, I go back to this notion of the collective. And when we stop differentiating ourselves from each other, and feel a sense of responsibility and um, connectedness without judgment to to each other, it really can have um, a, a positive effect but gives greater meaning to why we are here and what we're doing. I mean, Dr Amy, it's got to be for some reason, right? Like otherwise that's pretty sad and meaningless. And I strongly differentiate purpose from meaning in when I'm talking about per PERMA. Purpose is very self-driven. Meaning is very other-driven and collective because when we are collective, we are viewing this meaning of, um, of what it is to have the privilege of being here because it is a privilege the privilege of being born in the first place, uh, being privileged, especially in Australia, in, be in being part of such um, a, um, a wealthy country full of opportunities in which, quite frankly, anyone, regardless, I mean, um, with the exception of, of some really great challenges of, and adversity, I totally validate that, but for the most part, you, you can dream up anything and be and do anything that you like. Um, and so that is with great privilege. And so with that, I, I really strongly believe that we shouldn't, you know, and, and that we're healthy, those of us who are, or those of us who have health challenges. Um, if you are fortunate enough to, to focus on, on um, perhaps the, what, what you do have in your favour and, um, and be able to help others that may be even less fortunate than yourself. Um, that's creating it's, in, 
Yeah, it's interesting you say that now because it reminds me actually of when I when I worked in palliative care and, you know, some oncology wards and the stories, you know, reminds me of, of some particular people. There were several people actually that, you know, they were relatively young and they got a palliative diagnosis, i.e. they were told they didn't have very long to live. And rather than focusing on themselves and the pain and the lethargy and the discomfort and the nausea of the treatments that they were having, they actually found strength in volunteering and doing things for other people. And I remember a lady like saying to me, you know, someone's always got it. The grass is always greener on the other side. And someone's always got it worse. Someone's always got it worse than, than, than I have. Right. So, and, and it's so true. It it is even in the darkest, darkest moments that, and hearing that from people that, you know, get told they have three months to live and saying, oh, you know, some people have got it much worse than me. It's almost like, wow, like it's so inspiring to hear that and like completely hats off because it's like goop oh my goodness like like you kind of taken back by the amount of compassion and serving of other people it's incredible to witness because in such I think, devastating spaces absolutely because I think when you have a finite I, I mean I don't I don't know this from personal experience but I I am surmising when you have no actually I'll rephrase most people only soul search or get the meaning of life when something absolutely terrible happens to them so true and yeah and that's a shame but understandable right the other thing that I'd like to say and this is (laughs) completely going on a bit of a tangent I think but just because you mentioned palliative care I've watched two physical deaths happen. So I've watched two people take their last breaths in my life. And, but I'll I'll talk about my father first. It was a remarkable process that when I gave birth for the first time, I was absolutely stunned at the similarities between those two processes of the process of fighting going, fighting or exiting, whether the person fights or they're accepting exiting. And the process of then coming into the world, both are contractions and they're physical contractions too. So I don't know why I mentioned that. (laughs) We were talking about the meaning of life. So I just thought I've always wanted to share that with someone. I think I've only shared it with a few people, my observation and my theory that they're very similar processes, both both physically, emotionally and spiritually challenging, but they look and the rhythm of them are similar. Anyway, there you go, Dr. Amy. <laughs> well, the breathing is similar. You yeah. Know, when, yeah. When people die, the, you know, their last few breaths is, is kind of that almost gasping. And it's the same when a baby comes out, you know, a mummy's um, vagina is that, you know, she, that the, the baby has the same like gasp. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I suppose I hadn't really looked at it like that, but I love, I love your tangent. Hilarious. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what's the next thing? <laughs> um, so, so going back because I'm aware, like we've been going on about perma, positive yes. emotion, engagement, yes. relationships, yes. meaning, and the, and the last yeah. one being achievement. Yeah, yeah. So talk to us about achievement because you're an achiever. I'm an achiever. 
Yeah. Yeah, this is really interesting because I've been doing a lot of thinking about this lately. So in, in my first, so I'm 42 in a couple of weeks. And um, so in my t- uh, teens, 20s and 30s, are extremely ambitious um, and I would say, you know, was hitting all every goal that I, I wanted to achieve and that's great. And then I, I hit a different point in my life in which had family and things changed a bit. And so um, my sense of achievement, it took me a while to realise that it's all relative, right? So I, I didn't have to now have the goal of successful business that had a certain amount of turnover or what have you. The achievement could be, do I have a happy, healthy kid that feels confident to go to school and, and you know, all of those things, which is an achievement, like really an achievement. And, and am I, am I um, whatever your goal is, am I, am I cooking a nice nutritious meal for, for my family or whatever it might be, um, they're different and it's all relative. But you have to tap into what you want to achieve at that point in your life. So um, I I have I still have you know a lot of career goals, but they're more about in they're more service based. You know, there's still there's still many of them that are very commercial. I mean, I I still have a mortgage, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But they they've changed. But it took me a, a while, a bit of a a bit of a stumbly transition to stop caring of what, oh, what might other people think? Might they think I'm scaling back because I'm failing? Next, I'd like to just quickly talk about achievement in a sense of I'm starting to think about not retirement, but what I want my rest of my life to look like. And so, for example, we live in the city and we will do so, continue to, until our children finish school, but we want to buy some land and grow vegetables and grow flowers. And, and I have, you know, pictures of what my achievement will be in another 20 years. And that to me at the moment, because I always like to plan, it's not like I'm trying to hurry up death or anything, but I like to like plan and think about what it might look like. But I, I have this picture of me growing flowers and then delivering the little posies to palliative care and hospitals in the in the area close to my um my uh, property and 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 things like that and that to me would be a great achievement. But the me in my twenties would be like, what are you talking about, old lady? <laughs> that's that's lame. That's not achievement. That's nice, but it's that's not achievement. So. Achievement needs to be whatever you feel is a measure of the best you can do at that time for for others or for your business or what have you. But you have to be open to it changing. It won't be the same in your 20s than it is in your 60s. Is it it okay if it's an achievement if I get six layers of washing done in a day? Absolutely. No, no, no. (laughs) And I'm, it's, um, six loads is amazing. Now, just quickly on achievement. So, uh, and for any new mums out there or new carers, um, my advice to you, if you can achieve one thing a day as a new mum, and what I mean by that, it, it could be to have a shower and don't expect, you're not going to get a shower every day. It could be to, um, I don't know, like do something, uh, you know, make some food for the baby or something. Uh, um, 
one thing. And surprisingly, after a while of COVID last year, the lockdown, at first in lockdown, I thought, great, because, you know, I'm an overachiever like you, Amy. I'm like, great, this is a chance. I have an excuse not to leave. I can just do, 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 achieve, achieve, get my goals out. And all of a sudden I realised it's not, I was kind of like a bit demotivated and I found myself like, ugh. And then I realised it was kind, that lockdown was kind of like caring for a newborn in that I had to lower my expectations. It the opportunity was not to achieve more. It was to be still, reflect, and maybe if you can get out of your jammies that day, then that'd be good. But I think a lot of people that sort of perpetuated some blues in our mind or a low mood because they thought, oh, great, this is an opportunity to, you know, clean out the linen cupboard and do this and do that and do that, and it just didn't, that didn't happen and it didn't, didn't, sit well because it was actually a time of reflection Mm, so so true (laughs) I mean you are definitely 100% an achiever I think we can tell that and I suspect most of our audience are also achievers as well And, and I know most women are perfectionists especially the people I surround myself by and it's very difficult sometimes to not compare but what's your advice to our audience that are, you know, getting into business and, you know, that's an achievement on its own, especially when you're a small business, maybe even, you know, a one man band, like what has kept you going and what could you, the audience, you know, take from that? Like what is the traits or the mantra or the sayings that you say to yourself to keep you going in your business? So in regards to entrepreneurship, I think, you either are an entrepreneur or you're an employee. And first of all, you need to work out which one that is. But if it is entrepreneur, then you need to work out really quickly, even though it's a bit of an arduous long journey, who you are authentically and rock that out because you will be more profitable and more commercial if you are brave enough to show everyone your uniqueness and brave enough to find the audience that think you rock And then be fine with the people that think, ugh, she doesn't rock. (laughs) Because if you try and be all things to all people, you will be nothing to no one. And nobody buys beige. And (laughs) and it when you are being yourself, you are when you're an entrepreneur, you're in sales, right? You're selling something and it's your offering or and yourself. And if you're not being honest about what's on the packaging then the the one person that might buy it unwraps it and goes, ooh, what the heck? That wasn't what I thought. But if, and and because you weren't being honest about the packaging, the people that really want to buy what you've got can't see it. It's not marketed. So they don't even know you exist. Be loud, be proud, and, you know, just rock out exactly what you've got be open to opportunities, be, be, have your eyes wide open because what it looks like today is not going to be what it looks like tomorrow and be open to unlikely opportunities in unlikely places. So if you are someone who doesn't like change and is quite comfortable with things being the same, then you're going to have to relax and, and be open because something will come knocking on the door and if you go, oh, sorry, that wasn't in my five-year plan. Sorry, sorry, I can't be open to that. <laughs> then 
you've missed the opportunity and that's my advice <laughs> I love that advice and I actually think that you talked that through with me when I had my meltdown about being all things to all people and you know for me specifically, you know, I'm a little bit out of the box to a normal doctor and, you know, I feel like I'm a bit of a lateral thinker and open-minded and, and, you know, and I think sometimes when you are, when you are authentic, you, it is easier because you're not hold, you're not wearing a mask of any sort, but there is an element of thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to get judged. But at the end of the day, if you're taking arrows, then you're in the game and you're yeah. actually making a difference somehow, right? I think um, I was talking to one of my mentors, Brian Rose, um, yesterday. Uh, he's the CEO of uh, London Real. And he was talking, um, he was saying something about haters. And he was saying, haters only hate up, you know, because they never hate down. Like if you're someone that's doing something good or doing something, they might not see it good. But if you're doing something, like if you've launched a podcast or you've done a book or a magazine, you don't generally get someone that's like done the same, like hating on you. You don't get people going down the street, looking at someone that's homeless and hating down on them. You only get people who are hating up. So it shows that you're in the game, you're doing things. And to all of our um, listeners out there, you know, if you are doing a small business or solo entrepreneur, like stick with it, like be authentic, be enthusiastic, be raw like Jess is. And yeah, and like show all parts of your personality because I'm sure when lots of people think, oh, executive coach, you know, sometimes I think, oh God, like corporate, but like you are so far from that, Jess. Like, you know, you're just so personable, relatable, easy to talk to. So where can people find you? So my website is jessicasimes2me.com. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and just reach out. I will always personally email you back or message you back. So I would love to hear from, from you. And I've just enjoyed this conversation so much, Dr. Amy. And I can't wait to listen to more episodes of your podcast. And um, it's, a, it's a really great podcast. So everyone keep listening. <laughs> thanks for the picture <laughs> awesome thank you so much Jessica and I'm sure we'll have you on again to cover even more topics in the realm of resilience and confidence and positive psychology so please check Jess out and we'll catch you all very soon thank you so much bye